This episode is brought to you by Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software is by far my favorite and most used Bible study tool. I use it for sermon prep, personal Bible study, and it's where I've chosen to buy my books and build my theological library. In Logos, your books aren't just books, but they're integrated with a host of tools that not only enhance the value of those books, but empower your study of scripture. Listeners of this podcast can get a special discount on Logos by following my unique link in the show notes. And in addition to that discount, they're going to go ahead and throw in a free five books for you. If you're unsure, go ahead and follow that link anyways, because there's also a free version of Logos that you can get. That's right, free. All right, now to the podcast. everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church, and today I have with me a very special guest, uh, one of my former professors, Dr. Joshua Jip. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jip. Hey, Kirk. It's good to be here. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jip is a New Testament scholar, and I'll give you a little bit of information about him. Um, he has written several books. I think your areas of expertise are probably like the Gospels. I know you do some stuff in Paul, but Luke, Acts, yeah, that's primarily right. those areas. Yeah. Um, the What we'll be talking about today is the subject of hospitality. And you wrote a book called Saved by Faith and Hospitality, um, which I know won a whole bunch of awards. Um, I know there. I found something online about a 2018 Book of the Year award from the Academy of Parish Clergy. So yeah, that's at least I mean, one. I was going to say I don't know if a whole bunch of awards, but at least one. That's <laughs> at least one. one. That's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. The one. Yeah. But uh, you also have one that came out recently called Reading Acts: Christ as Kings, Paul's Royal Ideology. Um, you have one that's forthcoming, I believe, the yep. Messianic Theology of the New Testament. That's right. Yep. And then I think I found somewhere something about Paul and the pursuit of happiness. Paul's well, okay, yeah, that's that's just uh, yeah, that's just a research project just beginning. Okay, so, yeah. And I know yeah. I was talking to one of your students and a friend of mine, Jennifer Guo, who is in your class, uh-huh. Paul and the philosophers. Yeah, that's that's part of the Paul and the, yeah the 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 new Paul book, which is still a few years down the road. Yeah, yeah. and then you guys. Um, have a podcast that you started at Trinity here called Forward with some of the other professors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Doctors Pierce, Knight, Arcadi, me. Yeah. Just for this past semester, we've been um, doing a podcast. Uh, check us out. It's called Forward, F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D, Forward. And mostly what we're doing there is um, trying to model some good theological conversations amongst our TEDS faculty. And it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah. Um, and so Dr. Jip is an associate professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, if I forgot to mention that, which is where I went to school. And I remember I had, I think I had at least one class with you, which was Gospels and... Uh, back, back then it was Gospels it was and Johanna. Jo- yeah, yeah. So we've we changed covered, it a little bit, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't think we covered Acts. Yeah. yeah. So it was the Gospels and then Revelation that's right. and things like that. Yep. And it was, I remember it was like a, it was like a fire hose of information every lecture. <laughs> it was just like so much good stuff. Yeah. Um, but a really good I love class. that class. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun. So we're going to be talking about the topic of hospitality, which I feel like has been getting a lot of popularity lately. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. have been talking about mm-hmm. it. Maybe partly due to some of your work, if yeah, I can I don't know about that, give but, you that yeah. credit. Um, but let's, I like to start off by defining terms. Great. I think it's really helpful. Yep. So can you define for us hospitality? Um, I'm assuming biblically speaking. Yeah. I think one good kind of working definition of hospitality is 
It is the process whereby we make space for another person or another a group of people such that strangers move out of being strangers and into friends or family. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it usually, often it will involve some sense of food, shelter, and clothing, but it need not necessarily have those tangible aspects to it. Um, but always at the heart of hospitality is there is someone that's making space, making room for another group of people, another individual, uh, and it's through that space that then people are able to move from strangers to friends. Hmm. Okay. So I'm imagining there are probably some, I mean, we have a lot of cultural baggage when we talk about hospitality. Mm -hmm. Like my mind yeah. goes to like, I'm not from the South, but for whatever reason, yeah. my mind goes yep. to like Southern hospitality and like bringing yeah. some sweet tea or something. Like yep. are Mar there... Martha Stewart, Paula yeah, yeah. Dean, yeah, right cookbooks. There. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, second Martha Stewart. Yeah. Um, but is there... Are there like misconceptions that you would want to initially say, hey, this is not what we mean or mm -hmm. like we would be in yeah. danger in, in some cultural context of thinking about it this yeah. way? Any misconceptions? I think I think you can think. I mean, I don't want to say anything negative about Southern hospitality or um, about what some of us might initially think hospitality sure. is because – uh, probably what we're thinking of uh, will have to do with things like how do we how do we make space for other people? How do we care for people? How do we make someone who is a guest feel like their family and feel like their friends through our home, through our food, through provisions, through just being attentive to their needs? And that's an all all of that's part of hospitality. And it's really good and rich. However, um, where many of our views of hospitality probably needs to be disrupted or um, changed a little bit is that um, hospitality generally is something that takes place amongst people who are either strangers from, uh, from one another or at least not part of the same kind of social network. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. so for me, you know, let me, let me, you know, I'll pick on one of my friends here, David Louie, right? Mm -hmm. For me to have like David Louie over to my house and to grill some steaks and, you know, drink some Dr. Pepper and watch some basketball, that's, that's friendship, right? And that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And we, we can have an edifying sort of like um, relationship, right? But David and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, we share common interests like yeah. you can tick the boxes and we're we have a lot of similarities already to each other. Yeah. There's not a lot of risk that's involved there. So hospitality is usually um, something that and in fact, when I talk about it, I almost always use this word. I don't just teach hospitality in the New Testament, but hospitality to strangers, because there's really that quality of someone that is either literally a stranger or different or unknown. Hmm. Let me just add one other thing here. Hospitality is usually then going to have an element of risk to it. Mm -hmm. Risk in that you don't know exactly uh, how things are going to work out between you and the guest or between if you're the guest, you and the host. They're, you know, to give hospitality, to receive hospitality, right? It is um, two people not knowing each other, groups of people not knowing each other and taking the risk to share common space. Uh, whereby there's a chance that they then can move from enemies, strangers, foreigners to each other, to people that are actually deep friends. Hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a strong ask involved. There's a risk. There's yeah. there can be sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I hear like yeah. the the idea of uh, like crossing boundaries. Like totally. the idea of stranger yeah. is like I'm I'm going. So it's more than just like me having people over from my yeah. church. 
um, it might be me. Um, what does it look like for me to welcome in people in my neighborhood who aren't believers that I'm not interacting with? Yeah. Or like yeah. even in Milwaukee, there's a lot of uh, like racial segregation yep. or different type people groups that we may mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. feel as comfortable with just because we're comfortable with homogenous yeah. people like us. Yeah. So it seems like it has a lot of contemporary application. No, definitely. I mean, I think I'd, one thing I used to do, and I try not to do this as much, is pit friendship against hospitality yeah, because yeah, sure. I think... Um, I mean, I used to at times do that, and my motivation was to make hospitality and the the stranger aspects stand out in more detail. Um, but I don't want to. I've tried to move away from that a little bit because hospitality does presume there is a group of friends, there is an actual enjoyable mm-hmm, space, mm-hmm. whether it's a family, whether it's a church. Right, there is meaningful friendship there. That you then, as an individual or as a church, as a group of friends, are taking the risk to be the guest of someone else, uh, to uh, to invite other people onto your space. And so you can think of hospitality to some extent as um, drawing the circle of friendship, or at least seeking to draw the boundaries of friendship broader mm-hmm. than Expanding. what they already are. Expand it. Yeah. I mean, think of the church in Acts 2, right? They are... Scholars have often looked at the way Luke describes the church in Acts 2. They're one heart, one soul, one mind. They're not saying anything is their own in terms of their possessions. They're in each other's houses and in in each other's homes. They're a community of friends, in other words. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're a community of friends that are, to some extent, breaking some boundaries as it's really the risen Messiah that draws them all together. And it's by that means, their friendship they're being in each other's homes, sharing possessions that the Lord, this is verse 47 of Acts 2, is adding to their number those who are being saved every day as that circle of friendship just gets drawn bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and more expansive as opposed to being something that's just defined by cliques or one ethnicity or one social status group or uh, or a common hobby or something mm-hmm. along those lines. So like even in Acts, like as the gospel goes out across the the Roman Empire, like yeah. the mission of the church is a mission of hospitality, you might yeah. say, because it's expanding the boundaries, like especially when you think of the Gentile Jewish uh, unity we see yeah. in the book of Acts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I one of, one of my favorite themes in Acts is exactly the way you're putting your finger on it, the way in which there are these unusual friendships, these boundary crossing relationships that mm. take place between the early Christians and those who don't yet know the gospel. And you could just I mean, you, you could do a whole study of Acts 1 through 28, reading each chapter, looking for fun, strange, unusual friendships or mm-hmm. encounters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Acts 9, then Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, obviously is, is one. Uh, Saul, I mean, the you know, yeah, we yeah. call it the conversion of Saul, but it's really, I mean, at that point, the the hater of the church, you know, a terrorist, you know, of the church and his friendship that he then, you know, makes with Ananias and Barnabas. Uh Then it gets to Acts 10 and you've got Peter, the preeminent apostle of Jesus and uh, Cornelius, right? Mm -hmm. A Roman centurion, God-fearing Gentile. And you can just go on and on down the list. Mm -hmm. And while I'm on it, yeah, it's when Paul's on his second missionary journey, um, it is, it's really, uh, this is right after the Jerusalem council, which just as a quick refresher, basically, um, is the decision that says Gentiles can be part of God's people. They can be saved, uh, apart from converting to Judaism simply by faith, by means of the spirit, 
their hearts can be cleansed. And then the next three chapters, chapters 16, 17, and 18, you basically have Paul and Silas and other early Christians that are encountering these Gentiles, and the appropriate Gentile response is one of hospitality and Mm -hmm. welcome. Mm -hmm. So the Gentiles here are actually the hosts. They are the ones that are responding Mm -hmm. to... Uh, the message of the gospel and are demonstrating we get it and we embrace it as they themselves are then providing, right? So Lydia and the jailer and Philippi and others in Acts 17 and 18 are are are, are making space for Paul and his team. And what's interesting is even as you're talking about that, it, it makes me reflect on the fact that like this movement, this movement of uh, the hospitality as, as something that characterizes the mission of the church mm-hmm. is something that is not just like an, a human initiative, like yeah. Paul is just deciding and Cornelius just deciding. All these characters just right. kind of on their own. But if you like, we recently preached through Acts mm-hmm. and like behind all, like most oh, of yeah. those stories yep. is like the, act, the actual action of God saying Ananias, welcome Paul, yeah. uh, Jesus yeah. arresting Paul. Yep. Uh, Acts 10, when Peter gets that vision, yep. don't call unclean what I have declared cl- Absolutely. clean. So yep. God is yep. the one, like that wasn't Peter being like, hey, you know what? I think I want to strategically yeah. plan a church in yeah. this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, what would be yeah. really good for reaching those God-fearing yeah, Gentiles? Over exactly. There? Yeah. So I mean, like a Macedonian call for Paul, yep. like in yep. his missionary journey. So like God is the one directing the, absolutely these hospitality acts. No, yeah. Again, you put your finger on something I think really important. I mean, it's yeah. The book, the book of Acts is, I mean, all about in some ways God's activity. And then humans catching up to what God is doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? They are, they, God has done something. Now they need to interpret it mm-hmm. and discern like what has happened here. Um, and so, right. Yeah. I mean, the, my, there's a, so many good examples, but yeah, the Peter Cornelius story where Peter and Cornelius simultaneously have, you know, these visions, yeah, 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 they don't yeah. know what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. But like God is essentially saying you two as representatives of right the early Christian Jerusalem community yeah. and the Gentiles, I am bringing you together, yeah. right? And they, I mean, I love like how Acts, you know, has Peter repeatedly saying and, you know, things like, I don't know what I'm doing here, you yeah, know, yeah, or yeah. like, he's perplexed, he's confused, he doesn't, right? And, yeah. you, you know, it's not until basically he sees God send a spirit and they speak, you know, in diverse languages and tongues, yeah. right? That Peter's like, wow, I, you know, finally I get it. Like God really doesn't show mm-hmm. partiality. He's a God who is hospitable to mm-hmm. Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. So, and absolutely. he even says like, who should we, who are we to withhold? Yeah. Can, yeah. Like embracing them if yeah. God has exactly. given him a spirit. Go, in some ways it goes back to the, the God fighting theme. It's a whole theme. It's mentioned one time. You know, in Acts 5, but when God does something, you better not stand in his way otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gamaliel. Gamaliel think, yeah. in Acts 5. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you, you've mentioned, I'm, I'm, when we're talking about kind of the definition of hospitality, you've mentioned the idea of strangers. Mm-hmm. Could you uh, flesh that out a little bit? Like biblically, um, like I'm thinking of some examples of hospitality. Um, like I think of like the case of Abraham and like yeah. these angels and like, um, in Genesis and like there's different like where where would you go to sort of demonstrate the idea of hospitality being particularly directed towards strangers and mm-hmm. part of that is what do we mean by a stranger exactly yeah so I don't know which one you would be better to start with yeah um, for the uh, I mean the, 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 yeah the New Testament works this out in a variety of different ways so it could be the stranger is the early Christian missionary who's an itinerant 
and he and she, he or she, and the team is moving from city to city, and they are dependent upon simply their common faith in Christ, not their ethnicity, not mm-hmm. anything else. Maybe they have letters of recommendation in terms of receiving welcome, right, from a particular community. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, the stranger is often the marginalized or the outcast or the one who belongs to Israel and the people of God, but is on the margins, right? And Jesus comes and people often, for, I think, sometimes forget this or maybe don't know this, but before he shares his parables of the prodigal son and the lost coin and the lost sheep, right? He, the narrator says Jesus is extending hospitality to the sinners, mm-hmm. um, to the sinners and to the uh, the tax collectors, basically those within Israel that were on the margins, right? Mm-hmm. Or the woman, uh, the, the, the woman, the, the so-called sinful woman, Acts 7, or the woman with the flow of blood and the bent woman in Luke 13. Often mm-hmm. these are strangers. They're ethnically, right, part of Israel, we might say, but they find themselves to be on the margins. Mm-hmm. And God, uh, through Jesus, comes to seek and to save the lost. And as a result, it's these marginalized and outcast figures that are brought back into the fold or into the community. Yeah. Um, so those, yeah, those are a couple. I mean, we could, yeah, I, no, I could go a few helpful. more examples. Those are those are a couple of examples. That's helpful. Yeah. And this this one, I may be jumping into. I mean, I'll ask it here. Okay. Um, just see where it goes, I guess. Yeah. But is one question it has is as I was looking at some of, I tried to survey some of the passages in the New Testament on hospitality, and one thing that came to mind is I. I started to wonder, you touched on this a little bit with like second John or uh, yeah. the, the, uh, the epistle, the second yeah. epistle of John, yeah. um, is the, the, there's the idea of like, there's, we ought to give hospitality yeah. to other Christians doing the work of the ministry. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's commended there. And yet there's also like in third John, he's like, don't welcome in the false <laughs> teacher. Yeah, right, like, right. Don't. You yeah. sort of get like a pairing here. And I wonder, I guess as I was surveying these, these passages in passages on hospitality in the New Testament, I wondered if we should say there's a difference between the, well, I guess, let me start with this. Is it inappropriate? Is there, is there ever a time where it's actually inappropriate for us to show hospitality? I, right. gave, I guess I gave one example, yep. but yep. like, help us think that through. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's a really good question. I can think of a couple, there are a couple of different examples. Um, so let's, you know, stay in the world of the Bible and uh, development of early Christianity and think of maybe some contemporary parallels for the first example. Um, but yeah, there are definitely limits to hospitality or necessary boundaries at times, mm-hmm. right? Um, the early church, certainly you see it in second and third John, as, as you're mentioning, Kirk, but then you also see it in some of the, uh, some of the second and third century um uh, sort of apostolic orders, or even the Didache, that's basically saying, how do I know, like, when an, an itinerant is actually just abusing my trust mm-hmm. and saying I'm a messenger of the Lord? And the Didache is like a, is an er, one of the earliest. Yeah, it Christian may even writings. be may even be first century. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks for clarifying there, right? And 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 they put in place some of these rules and some of these tests, yeah, and yeah. to us they might look hokey, you know, yeah, sort like, of like it's, it's like yeah, if it's um if they stay for two, I can't remember how many it is, if they stay for two days right there or three days or something it's like um they're legit they stay for that fourth day and you cast out those christ mongers you know <laughs> yeah. sort of like oh, i mean it, that fourth day. what they're yeah right. 
remember if it's third, but it's, I can't remember, um, obviously they're working through in their own context. Yeah. Hey, we, as the people of God are a people that extend hospitality. Yeah, yeah. We receive strangers. We give it's sort welcome. of assumed, right? Yeah. yeah. It's assumed, right? Yeah. But that can be abused. Yeah. Right. And so what are some of these rules or tests or limits? Right. And mm-hmm. we don't need to follow them in the same kind of like literal, you know, the fourth day or whatever. But certainly there's going to be boundaries in terms of when is this appropriate? When is this inappropriate mm-hmm. with false teachers? Right. Yeah. There's no sense in terms of welcome a false teacher, someone right. that's maybe abusing the church, profiting off the church um, or something along along those lines. Yeah. There's also just general limits at times to hospitality. I don't, in the past when I've taught this class, I don't, on hospitality as strangers, I don't start here because I think, I don't know, maybe if you're like me, my first reaction can be, this is risky or this Mm -hmm. is scary. And like, I want to think about who do I not have to do this? You You don't want to give a premature out. That's right. Yeah. But, right, there are, throughout the New Testament, there are plenty of instances and examples of where, like, Hospitality uh, presumes that there is common space that can be shared that is going to be life-giving and meaningful. Um, There's a sense in which it could become too overcrowded such that for me to embrace, you know, 18 people in my office is no longer going to be an act of hospitality because we're going to be stuffing people under my desk and whatever. So what are like, hospitality is risky, but there are certainly practical elements like how do I preserve the safety of my family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do I not idolize my family? How do I not idolize safety and security and comfort? Mm-hmm. But what are like necessary means and measures that I'm going to take, right, in terms of um, uh, being a wise steward of those that people, the, the people that God has put in my care, even as I'm trying to take some risks and, and, and extend it? Yeah. Um, I'll just give a quick book recommendation here. Christine Pohl, um, her book on making room. Uh, she, um, I guess more of an ethicist, um, but her, her book is so helpful and it has, it has a really helpful chapter on limits and boundaries of hospitality that I certainly, for those that are going to, you know, really try to live this out, yeah, yeah. you know, sooner or later you'll run up against some of these yeah, yeah, challenges and, and and it's yeah it's helpful yeah, yeah. um the other question i i think i <clears throat> unintentionally almost began to ask which is different is sort of is there the other question i had as i was surveying some of the new testament passages on hospitality is is there a different in the way we should think about or show hospitality to believers versus non-believers mm-hmm. so not the non-believer yeah. false teacher but just like general non-believers yeah. versus believers is there yeah. is there a different way the bible treats that yeah there's it seems like there's so, uh, so many texts. Um, well, let me let me put it this way. If hospitality has as its goal moving um, people who, who are strangers to friends or family or insiders, then there's certainly going to be a difference with Christians who um, I think of Romans 14 and 15, right? We show hospitality to one another because Christ himself, this is Romans 15 verse 7, has shown hospitality to us. And as a result, the primary sort of way of thinking about our relationship uh, at an ecclesial level, um, both locally as well as globally, is that we are family. We are brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done for us, reconciling us to the Father. 
Now that's a message, that's a reality, that's a family relationship that we share and have amongst one another, but mm-hmm. we want to see those that don't know that reality be grafted, be grafted into. Mm-hmm. And so while there are things that I think are reserved for sort of like the intimacy of uh, those brothers and s- people who are brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord's Supper would be one of them um, as well. We're also looking for how do I not hoard the gifts of God, but just as the early church already referenced in Acts 2, right, is um, uh, sharing their common life together. How how can our common life be something that we don't hoard, but we're able to actually open ourselves up and extend to others? Um, I think you do see uh, a couple of examples of this in the New Testament. I think you see um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, um, it's kind of a famous passage, but I'm not sure we always get the social context of this right, where he says, I become all things to all people. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians 9, he's saying, so that I may gain others, right, to the gospel of Christ. I become a Jew to the Jew, those that are under the law, under the law, those apart from the right. And essentially, I think what Paul's saying here is, um, I, as a good guest, ad- act, I, I act as a good guest. I adapt myself to my host, mm-hmm. presumably within certain strictures, right? right? right. Um, uh, but insofar as I'm able, right, I speak their language, I, uh, I eat their food, I enjoy their company, right, as a means of, right, being friends with them, but with the hope that they actually will mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, um, he views that like being good ghost, good good guest, <laughs> as a means of sort of imitating Christ as he self as he lowers himself. He voluntarily mm-hmm. renounces certain rights and privileges and authorities he has to adapt himself to the practices and rituals and scripts of others. Um, uh, again, I don't want to say he's just simply you know sort of like the youth pastor that says there's pizza to get the kid in the door, but there's no pizza, right? He's not yeah, just yeah, like yeah. the end goal is just get him to, you know, but it's like yeah. it, he's seeking to enter into um, intentional friendship so that yeah. people will see the gospel of Christ. And I think there's some other examples of acts, yeah. but I don't there's not like go a, on too long here. There's not a, uh, <clears throat> it's not an either or between like Paul wanting to uh, adapt and somehow being mm-hmm. like, well, it's just a, bait and switch sort of thing like he can can adapt yeah for the means of trying to reach people the gospel and genuinely care about and because he actually i think paul (laughs) i don't know we probably don't think of him this way i think paul actually really wanted and tried to be a good friend to people um (laughs) like i think i mean i think that probably it's you know some of this might be reading a little bit between the lines but thinking of you know him entering into a new city and probably finding a trade guild where he worked with his hands in some yeah. way and makes relationships right in these different mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, ethnic specific geographical locations right Paul is um, you know I think probably um, uh, the, there's not a bait and switch here otherwise he would you know be seen through as you know a fraud but as one who's genuinely loves people and, you know, is interested in people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, love is important. I'm not sure we always think of Paul enough as we should as, a, you know, a person that like genuinely just loved people, yeah. loved unbelievers and was attentive to them in terms of making relationships and friendships with them, knowing that he had the, you know, the gift of Christ to share with these people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought of, uh, you were talking about what uh, we were talking before about examples of where hospitality would, would be inappropriate. You mentioned one that came to mind, which is the 
example of First Corinthians five with the man right. uh, sleeping with his yeah. presumably his stepmother yeah. and like mm-hmm. don't like don't eat with such a one whether that's a yeah. Lord's supper or general yeah. meals but like there's there's those things I want to yeah. I want to uh, I think this is probably a good place to kind of go towards what we sometimes call like the mission of God mm-hmm. you were talking about in First Corinthians or in Romans fifteen like we show hospitality in some ways because because Christ yeah. showed us hospitality, or we might say we get caught up into the actual mission of God, which is a mission of hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe that you argue um, in some of your writing on this, that God's relationship to his people is fundamentally an act of hospitality to strangers. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I do. Yep. Yep. And then could you explain what you mean by that? Thinking about the, the yeah. hospitality is not just an act of what humans, of what we do, yeah. but yeah. from God, like as an actual divine action. Yeah. Like, what do we mean by that? Yeah. Great question. I often will use the little phrase, um, divine hospitality creates or necessitates human hospitality. So the flip side of that would certainly be our hospitality that we show to one another and are seeking it to extend to other people ultimately is an extension of God's welcome and his hospitality to his people. Um, a couple of different places to go to to talk about that. I, I've already mentioned Romans 14 and 15. Um, Romans 15, you know, whatever's going on in Rome, right, there seems to be within the church some divisions uh, related to certain scruples over what we can eat, what we can drink, what days are sacred, how do we get along, where we have different kinds of scruples. Um, uh, And, right, Paul, uh, without getting into his fully fleshed out answer, um, roots the friendship and hospitality and I don't want to just say tolerance, but ability to deal with other people's scruples, even if they're not your commitments. He roots those in the fact that we are to welcome one another as God himself has welcomed us mm. in Christ, mm-hmm. right? Christ himself became a servant both to the Jews, to the circumcision, and to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcision. Namely, right, uh, as a means of eradicating Um, hostility that we would have towards the Father, Son, and the Spirit, reconciling us to the Father, Mm -hmm. creating peace such that we then, through the cross of Christ, are able to be reconciled to God and no longer be hostile or alien uh, um, uh, uh, enemies, um, but to be friends that are now characterized by peace. That relationship then that we have becomes then the foundation for, again, the church in Rome um, saying, I might actually disagree with my brother or sister on this, but Christ died for that person. Therefore, I do. I will not look down on them with these second order matters. I will not judge them. I will not refuse to eat with them. Uh, I will not you know, separate myself from th- them from any way because Christ has died for them as Christ has died for me. And as a result, again, it's love. It's welcome and it's peace, mm-hmm. realities that we experience in the gospel that then become sort of the foundation and mandate for us to extend uh, welcome to each other. I think a similar thing goes on in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. I mentioned this a little bit already as well. Um, but in the Gospel of Luke, uh, you have... Um, 
I would say one of the fundamental problems that humanity has in the Gospel of Luke is that it is isolated from God. It has put up barriers, foremost of which is sin. Some of it can be false understandings of the Torah and God's will. Uh, and as a result is alienated from God. G God sends his son Jesus, the journeying stranger in the Gospel of Luke, who's on a mission to eat with people, to create front, to create that common space where people can move from being on the margins, to move from being alienated, both from God and his people, to experiencing the kingdom of God and experiencing the friendship and the peace, mm. the reconciliation. That's what I mean when I say it starts with God's hospitality to us. Mm -hmm. And then from that, that gives us the mandate or necessity or even the ability to share that hospitality with others. Yeah, and it tails back into what we were talking about before with Acts where God is the one taking the initiative. Exactly. And not yep. just not just taking the initiative and saying, hey guys, I got this, yep. neat, I got this neat idea, yeah. but actually going about and doing it and like you said, us catching up. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. I love, it, and I, I mean, I love hospitality as like a theme or a, you know, a metaphor for describing this because if hospitality in some ways is, I don't want to just say all about, but if hospitality has as its goal friendship or social incorporation of different peoples, what better metaphor or way of talking about God's salvation can you get than hospitality, which is then going to lead to um, Christianity being a, a global religion that's going to encompass people from every tribe mm. and every nation mm -hmm. and languages and men and women and eunuchs and on and on, right, mm -hmm. as sort of the uh, a lens for me viewing how I, how, how God has rescued me and saved me. Yeah. So it, it, it characterizes, it's a way of thinking about the actual activity of God and mm -hmm. saving and rescuing. It's a yeah. hospit, it's a rescuing of, of hospitality. It, it's something that then is, um, that actually forms the identity of the people that is are yeah. saved. They yeah. are the people that have been shown hospitality yeah. that, that together show each other hospitality. Exactly. And then it shapes as the identity of the church and a people who, um, are to be like their savior yeah. and like their creator, they are then a people who show hospitality. To exactly. Others. Yeah. I mean, so there is, there is, you know, uh, I often think it goes without saying, but it probably doesn't. There is as a result, just because of what you've said, Kirk, there's obviously no place for xenophobia in the mm -hmm. church, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Christianity should like at its heart and at its core be the strongest antidote to forms of, uh, prejudice and fear of strangers, um, uh, as, yeah. as, as anything imaginable that's yeah. entered into world history it should be that way. And I hear not only where animosity might be, but even where it's like, eh, I'm not sure I want to, yeah. or there's sacrifice involved. Yeah. Or they're not like me. I don't, that's not the person that I have the yeah. strongest inclinations. To that's me. right. Even yeah. if I don't think of myself as yeah. disliking that type of person, so yeah. to say, yeah. like it, it, it's calling more than just lack of prejudice. Yeah. There's actually a positive. Impact. There is. Yeah, totally. I mean, this gets at another thing in the book of Acts that um, has been on my mind lately, but it, it also means that the, I mean, I think of this in Acts too, when, you know, when, when the spirit comes upon God's people and it manif the spirit manifests God's self through the speaking in different tongues and languages, Basically, no culture or language is sacralized. I mean, or, mm. and all of them are. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, in other words, the gospel can be articulated in any language, 
and in every and in any culture, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And so as a result, you know, um, we as God's people, right, as opposed to thinking like theology belongs to this group or to that group of people, mm. like is something where how is it that you, through your language and through your culture, are able to articulate, you know, mm. um, some aspect of the reality of our, you know, loving but also, you know, mysterious um, God who cannot be you know, grasped in any one tongue or any one language. Yeah. So yeah, the spirit in Acts 2 is, I, I, you know, the spirit really of, of crossing cultures, um, transgressing boundaries, right? Knowing that God, um, speaks, uh, through all tongues, all languages, all cultures. We all contribute. Uh, not one of us has sort of like the singular corner on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So to put, I, I'm like, I'm a guy who likes categories. So as I think about this and I think of like categories or labels, you have a, th- it, hospitality is a way of thinking about theology, my doctrine of God. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really is activity. Um, I suppose there's probably some Trinitarian reflections I yeah. think we had there too, yeah. but um, the doctrine of God, you also have an ecclesiology. It shapes yeah. the doctrine of the church mm-hmm. as a people that are a community yeah. that is made. And then the doc and then missiology, yeah. how it actually yeah. in, like informs yeah. mission. Yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you, too, as we were talking, it came to mind, thinking about the nature of God's activity as hospitality, mm-hmm. specifically towards sinners, mm-hmm. where there is, as you talked about, sin that alienates. I'm wondering how you, um, you using, like, you're saying hospitality is this great <coughs> metaphor for understanding all these things. Mm-hmm. How The other motif that we might throw in would be reconciliation. Mm-hmm. How does reconciliation relate to hospitality? Yeah. Um, as we think about God's hospitality towards us, but then maybe even our hospitality towards others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I think of it as uh, almost like overlapping circles with with each other. Um, If hospitality is the means whereby, as Jesus, right, I I see him when he's eating, uh, sharing table fellowship with sinners and outcasts and tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke, making common space for people to encounter the kingdom of God and the love and the love of God. And it's that then which in many ways moves them from outsider to insider. Reconciliation is really like one piece of that or mm. hospitality is one piece of it. I don't, I don't want to necessarily privilege one over the other where reconciliation is what in many ways, as far as I understand it, mostly in the New Testament is uh, vertically structured such that the God in the person of Christ takes the first move towards us in love to, through the cross, eradicate our hostilities, our enmity against him. I'm thinking of Romans 5, 1 through 11 here, um, whereby we then move into a relationship that's marked by an ability to call God Father and Abba Father, and it's marked by peace, and it's marked by trust. Mm. So I'm not sure I'm, you know, if you're if you're looking for categories, I might not be distinguishing the two no, no, as yeah, like yeah. separable enough. Yeah, I see them as in many ways, you know, strongly related to each other. Yeah, but yeah. even recognizing that they're related, yeah. it's not God's act of hospitality is yeah. an act of reconciliation. Yeah. yeah, and that really like. If that's the case, then we could even bring in Second Corinthians five, or yeah. Paul talks about how we've been given the ministry of yeah. reconciliation. That God is actually making His appeal of reconciliation right. through us. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that that then is the mission of the church. Yeah. Our mission, our mission of seeking to see people reconciled to God, is a is a ministry of hospitality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
um, with that, um, I guess I want to dive into the area of thinking about how this relates to the topic of salvation. Because your your book uh, on this is provocatively titled Saved yep. by Faith right. and yeah. Hospitality, yep. which I remember I was reading. There was one um, December, like around Christmas time, I was reading through the – I made a goal of reading through all the Apostolic Fathers. And uh-huh. I came across yep. – yep. I don't know if you remember this. I came. I was reading First Clement and I came upon – across yeah. the section yeah. where Clement so Clement uses I'll just in in first Clement which mm-hmm. is an early Christian writing one of the yep. early church fathers uh he says in chapters 10 through 12 he says on account of his faith and hospitality a son was given to Abraham in his old age um, and in the exercise of obedience he offered him as a sacrifice etc and then he continues on account of his hospitality and godliness lot was saved out of Sodom um, showing that God saves his people, essentially, it continues. And then he moves on to Rahab. So that mm-hmm. has a lot of similarity to James. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep. Um, on account of her faith and hospitality, Rahab the harlot was saved. I remember messaging you on Facebook being okay. like, hey, yeah. I forgot this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, hey, this is cool. Like, um, Yeah. But anyways, I was wondering, for those of us within the Protestant tradition, <laughs> yeah. once you say saved by faith, and there should no, there shouldn't be an and there, Doctor yeah. Jim. Like, what, what is that? Thank all? you for clarifying. What, yeah, I, just, yeah, I, didn't I, I don't know if you didn't realize this. I thought you were a Pauline scholar, yeah, but yeah. Um, we're used to saved by faith alone. So, yeah, yeah. what's that and doing in there in the equation? So, yeah, 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 totally. There's like I, I've, I've been asked this question, you know, a variety of times. I have like you're asking. I have, for it. I have probably like yeah. four or five different answers I give depending on how long I have. Right. The cheekiest one is, what what are you more likely to buy, Kirk? Are you more likely to buy a book that's called Saved by Faith and Hospitality, <laughs> or one that's like <clears throat> a biblical theology of hospitality? You're right. Um, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right, that's yeah. the that's the like, least convincing reason, but maybe the real one. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like you, I uh, I ran across um, the phrase exactly as as you know three instances you've yeah. just you've just given them to us from First Clement, right? That uh, are I don't think First Clement is sort of an anti you know early version of an anti sola fide, yeah. right? I, I would say he he's saying listen, um, your uh, uh, I mean as we might say in Reformation tradition. Right. Uh, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never a faith that it is, is alone. alone yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, in the same way for First Clement. Right. Faith is made good uh, in concrete activity, as it was for Abraham, a reaffirmation. Right. Of what God had promised him in uh, Genesis 12 and especially Genesis 15. Right. I'm not going to uh, give up on this covenant I've made with you, Abraham. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, hospitality is the sign that he's staying with it. Um, uh, and continuing to trust God. So the title in some ways does come from there. And it also, just as you also said, right, James 2, right? I mean, um, James 2, I think, is really helpful in terms of saying, right, uh, we are not saved by a faith that we can talk about as mere cognitive assent or mm-hmm. just belief, right? Mm-hmm. A saving faith um, within the gift of saving faith is the person of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. who changes us and transforms us mm-hmm. such that out of that reality, there are going to be the overflow of obedience and works and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say, you know, I do think there can be at times a mis misconceptions of sola fide. This isn't. I'm not critiquing yeah, Calvin or alone. Luther, yeah. right? 
um, that can make us, I don't know how you felt, you know, when you take my Gospels class, I always feel as though one of the lectures I give on the Gospel of Matthew, uh, I wonder, okay, I wonder how students are going to react to mm-hmm. this, because Matthew has so much, Jesus, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, where he's basically saying, um, you're not saved if you're not actually a right. disciple. Right, right, yeah. You know, there is going to be an eternal judgment, a final judgment, mm-hmm. right? And there are going to be people that say, Lord, Lord, that didn't do the Sermon on the Mount. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to be good news for them. There are going to be people that are there that probably think they're a sheep, but they actually didn't practice hospitality. So we are saved by faith alone. I, I don't deny that. But the faith, right, that saves us has to have, right, as its pro- overflow, not just something that we then work at and manufacture ourselves. I still view this as sanctification as like Christ is certainly working yeah. through us. God's grace. Absolutely. Yeah. But in such a way that it is producing a life of obedience and holiness. So if you have no hospitality on the last day, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's something you should, you should go back to the scriptures and yeah. think about you, yeah. you're, you're saved by faith, but you're comfortable being a xenophobe and, uh, uh, you know, perpetuating, um, bigotry and stereotypes and racism or anything along those, right. You, you, you better go back and read the new Testament text. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Yeah. So it, it's almost like I, I hear like going back to Clement a bit, I hear it's, I'm not a scholar on Clement. Yeah, but neither am I. My, yeah. yeah. My hunch would be like, it's almost like Clement maybe interpreting the works of James there, the faith yeah. and works no, right. as a, as hospitality. Totally. Like yep. if those, it feels like an illusion to yep. me and I, I could be wrong. No, I, th- I, I don't think that, uh, the illusion, the, the Rahab one was probably the most obvious. Yeah. Uh, for Clement just to come up with on his own. Yeah. There, there's a whole, this is probably not what your listeners are going to be most interested in, the Apostolic <laughs> Fathers that you made it a yeah. point to read through. Which, go ahead and read. I, they're so good. Yeah, I read good. through it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, borrow my copy if you're I did the same thing uh, you did after my MDiv at one point. Yeah. But there's a lot of questions about, you, you read them and you're like, these books sound like almost New Testament books, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they sound a little different, but they sound like really breathing the air of the New Testament. Yep. And then the question becomes... What did they know of the New Testament? What were they consciously quoting? Mm-hmm. Um, in this instance, I think it's probably likely that First Clement is familiar with James too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it seems that that's the case. And 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 to d- come to your aid, um, the this is not a radical. I, I would not say the idea of saying saved by faith and hospitality is a radical idea when you have the New Testament in James saying, yeah, like, that's wh- right. like you're yeah. not the, what is a faith that saves is a yeah. faith without works of faith yeah. that saves. He clearly says, no, yeah. the person is not just, the person who doesn't have works is not justified. Exactly. He says. Yep. And so that's not a sort of saving faith. A true saving faith is a faith that is going to show up in yeah. action. Yeah. And the rest of the New Testament teaches us we may in, like you said, we may within our sort of reformed evangelical tradition at times neglect this, mm-hmm. the worst forms of our tradition where um, we want to so emphasize that we are not saved by our works correctly and properly so. But sometimes we can do that to the the neglect of teaching that there is like the the grace that does save us. We are saved by grace, which is opposed to us earning. Mm -hmm. But the grace that is opposed to us earning salvation is not opposed to works. The grace that saves us apart from anything we earn is still a grace that absolutely transforms us. That's right, yeah. Um, right. And so you have passages in Hebrews like, without holiness, no one will see the yep. Lord. Yep. And uh, yep. 
Jesus talking about the one who's connected to him as a vine, as someone yep. who bear fruit. I mean, you could go, we could go on totally. and on yep. um, and on with this. Um, with that, though, um, let me ask you some practical questions, I okay. guess. The one, as we kind of head towards a close here, the one I want to ask, we kind of touched on this a little bit, is as hospitality relates to evangelism, mm-hmm. um, sort of we kind of played with the idea of like, is Paul being disingenuous when he shows people hospitality? I think um, like he's just trying to yeah. have a get a foot in the door in order to share the gospel. So he's yeah. not really interested in hospitality. He just wants to share the gospel. That would be like a false view of what yeah. Paul is doing. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, on the one hand, what do you think about the idea of hospitality being a platform for evangelism? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as I think it's it can be very good. I mean, I think people in the world that we live in. Uh, not just not just today, but throughout all periods of time, hey, you know, hunger and crave meaningful friendship, meaningful relationship. If the church and the community is a place of peace and love and humility and the fruits of the spirit and attentiveness to others, right, then that is a really rich and beautiful community uh, that we shouldn't pretend such that we shouldn't pretend that we don't have a gift to share mm-hmm. uh, with others. Now, again, that that also, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of let's hope that the church really is, right, and our small groups and our communities really are living this out. If they're not, yeah, yeah. ugh, you know, why would you invite someone into yeah. that? We got to show it to each other. Ex- exactly. Yeah. But if they are, then that's a gift, right? And I think, you know, if they are, then you absolutely should be um, out of your own just enjoyment and love for other people that God has made and loves Right. Uh, and is created in his own image. Right. There's no reason not to view hospitality as an opportunity to build friendships and relationships and to invite people into uh, into that network. I think let me just say, though, while I'm at it, the, the best practitioners of hospitality have not only thought of themselves as hosts, but have also been, you know, in other words, it might not work that well if you're just like, hey, come to my mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But are those that are just like we, we've we've given enough examples, I won't keep repeating these from the New Testament, but places where they're actually willing to be a guest and go and be with unbelievers or people that are unlike them to be on their turf, to not be uh, immediately surprised and offended, you know, when they don't act right, like a believer. Um, But to look at it as, you know, find a common interest, find a hobby, find something you appreciate and enjoy, look for opportunities to connect. Uh, and if a real friendship comes out of that, there'll be the mutual, hopefully give and take of host yeah. and guest. And yeah. So I, that was one of the questions I had was, uh, which kind of answered is like thinking of hospitality from the perspective of not just hosting, but what does it look like yeah. to actually be a, to be yeah. a guest of someone who actually is a recipient of right. hospitality. Yeah. Cause that actually, for some of us may be difficult to actually be someone who re- like there yeah. can be sacrifice oh, totally. and risk yeah. there too. Yeah. Well, I think for most of us, it's probably, uh, Maybe I should. Yeah, I think for most of us, it's easier to think of yourself as host and it's Mm -hmm. more easy and comfortable. I've shared this story before, but, you know, your listeners may not have heard it. When my wife and I lived in Atlanta, we, you know, established a friendship through world relief with an immigrant uh, family from Iraq. And uh, we would frequently go to their home, Mm -hmm. their apartment. And they would, they didn't, clearly didn't have much money as recent refugees, but they would use their money to like create a feast for us that was, wasn't the, like, 
I mean, they they took a little right and turned it into the most beautiful extravagant thing that they yeah, could to yeah, feed us. Yeah. Right. And they loved having us over to their home so much. Yeah. Um, we'd probably been to their home, their apartment, maybe eight times before we finally were like, we should have them over at our apartment yeah. and our house, I guess it was. And it w- to make a long story short, it w- it became really obvious they they liked it so much better when we were the guests. Probably because it was an opportunity for them to be dignified, to share themselves, to serve, right? To give of themselves uh, uh, in, in, in a country where at least they didn't have a lot of resources yet to be mm-hmm. able to have the dignity that comes with service, with yeah, generosity, yeah. with sharing and so forth. So um, uh, there are other examples I could give, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like the, the actual risk is to enter into someone else's space, to mm-hmm. say yes to an invitation um, that can be harder, riskier, mm-hmm. sometimes more meaningful yeah. uh, than just always thinking it needs to be at my church or my house mm-hmm. or my territory. Where I have ability to kind of control yeah. the environment. Because sometimes exactly. it could be like yeah. I'm like, you know, there regardless of context, yeah. but like there might be people that this like showing hospitality or being someone who lives by a principle we can say of hospitality it would mean it would seem like it would mean like hey i i might have to get out of my comfort zone to be a guest exactly and so the sacrifice is there too or if you live in a part of the city and you're doing ministry in a part of the city where you know maybe it's it's bringing you to the place where you're having to step outside your comfort zone that people who may not look like you you're not used to totally um so it's it's a it can be a stretching thing absolutely yeah Yeah, absolutely one last question is in in sort of our contemporary settings plural because i know the hospitality is yeah. very contextualized but even as we kind of think of a generic vanilla setting of of where we are um what would you say are maybe some practical tips um to overcoming some of our most common barriers mm, yeah i do think uh, it may not sound practical but i do think familiarizing yourself with how important a theme hospitality is in the scriptures will because sometimes hospitality can be really hard mm-hmm. uh you you need to realize you know at least for me and this is not just sort of like an extra little thing i need to add but this is really right uh works its way through the core of the scriptures um so real i think like and it's not just something going back to part of our past conversation that i think up of my own that i'm gonna do this actually is rooted in the identity of god the heartbeat of god Knowing those scriptures, I think, um, uh, actually is a practical step. Mm-hmm. Being shaped by them. Absolutely. So that when I yeah. question it or when I, yeah. the or conviction when I, is yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, secondly, I would say, you know, you can think about doing it as an individual, but you, if you can find, you know, a, a like-minded friend or, you know, a group of people to practice, to, to look for, and you, to, to, um, to seek to step into hospitality in a more powerful way, like communities right at the heart of hospitality, uh, together is better than just doing it on your own individually. Praying together, even you know, asking questions of like, all right, I have uh, I have a small group. How can our how can our small group like actually live into this reality in a more robust way? Um, and you might you know, I I've often prayed to God like, give me some. Uh, you know, some risky ways to live this out. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to like be obedient on a few, you know, on a few of those. I won't name those right now, but things that have Mm -hmm. actually, Mm -hmm. but you know, maybe for some of your listeners, yeah. Like, you know, 
life is short. You're going to die. And you're, you know, like, um, you know, so I don't think it's like ridiculous to think about, you know, let's do something risky, you know, uh, foster, you know, a child, (laughs) adopt a child, uh, figure out how to get into your, you know, nearby prison, you know, like do something Mm -hmm. that's, those are going to be hard and risky. Yeah. But maybe you're like, I don't know if I can quite do that. Well, just look for like, yeah, do something, do, do something like, yeah, where's there uh, a place where you have some influence or power and how can you use, how can you steward that power or influence in a way that might, um, might extend kindness and welcome to somebody that might be on the margins, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I can't say what that's going to look like because it's going to be different for all kinds of people. It may be as small as, you know, I'm not, I'm going to work harder in my small group to develop a, you know, meaningful conversation each time with this person that doesn't talk or seems on the margins or I'm going to, you know, not just surround myself with my friends when I'm at church, I'm going to every week intentionally look for, uh, people that may feel a little out of place. I mean, those are very yeah. small. Yeah, but look but for something are, yeah, concrete. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have given us a lot to chew on. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's been really fun yeah. to catch up with you. Yeah, likewise. Good yeah. to see you again, Kirk. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks.